Hey, everybody. Uh, here is the second Wake Up Weekending interview. And on this episode, I chat with Jeff Giles, who is the Hollywood executive editor at Vanity Fair. And he's also a former executive editor at Entertainment Weekly back in the early to mid 2010s, as well as an accomplished author of two young adult novels. Back when I was a producer at HBO, I created a roundtable special series with editors and writers at Entertainment Weekly, and Jeff always had a pretty sharp take on the business. So we dive into the repercussions from the tenant release in the U.S. on the movie business, what to expect with the Emmys, including the inherent challenges in giving an acceptance speech at the Emmys from your living room. But one thing to note, we did record this hours before the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg tonight. So obviously that is not a topic we discuss here. And then in terms of Vanity Fair, we get into what it's like to be the Vanity Fair Hollywood editor while living in Montana for the time being, as well as navigating the high wire act of booking magazine covers and features when there are movie release date changes seemingly every week. And Jeff also shares the inside point of view of working with ta Coates on the Vanity Fair September issue, which created quite a cultural moment. So here's my conversation with Jeff and for any new listeners. Each weekday, the Wake Up Podcast gives you the Hollywood and media business news to know every morning in about 7 to 10 minutes. So I would uh, encourage you to check out a couple of the latest episodes once you're done with this one. And stick around right after the conversation for a look ahead at the major happenings in the entertainment and media business this week. But now, here's Jeff Giles, Hollywood Executive Editor at Vanity Fair. Editing from home, let's do, you are the uh, Hollywood uh, Editor? What do Hollywood you Executive name? Editor. For Vanity, Vanity Fair. Fair, thank so, you very uh, much. Very, much, um, very welcome. Well deserved. Like every job anybody has, March was extremely scary and disorienting, and we spent a lot of time on Zoom and on the phone trying to figure out how do you put out a magazine, or even a um, if you can't take anybody's photograph, if you can't interview anybody in person. Um, but we pushed through it. Uh, I wasn't sure it would work, but you know, one of the cool things that came out of it was a lot of. Um, inventive photography stuff like I didn't it never occurred to me that you could do great shoots with a drone you know we did a shot we did an amazing shoot of Catherine O'Hara from Schitt's Creek using a um a drone and I loved it I loved that shoot and I bet it's something we do going forward once in a while no matter what because it was just had a real different flavor to it so you know and we got people who are shooting themselves obviously with our guidance from afar and stuff so you know we haven't interviewed too many people in person if any that i can think of i think it's not the worst thing in the world to have a little reset where you don't where every profile isn't about like lunch of the four seasons and what the waiter says so it's been an interesting challenge for writers to bring people to life when they're just talking to them over zoom it's kind of interesting to watch i'm proud of what we've done and you know we we just have also learned to pivot even faster you know i do the Hollywood stuff on the website as well. And obviously we can do stuff extremely fast there, but even for the magazine, I think, you know, when the, when George Floyd was killed and the, the country exploded, um, you know, we pivoted with the magazine and changed things very quickly to, to rise to the occasion. And I'm, you know, I think it's gone very well. We've done, we pulled off a lot more than I would have thought possible. And I say this because I didn't have anything to do with quite a lot of it, but it's a very good team at Vanity Fair. The most important part is having the people in place. You'll figure out the rest. And, yeah. You know, I mean, smart people who you trust and, yes. you know, that, that's yeah. the, the biggest asset. So uh, you're mm-hmm. not in Hollywood, but, uh, you know, this week was certainly uh, the implosion of the fall box office in the U.S., I would say, between Wonder Woman going to quote Christmas, but I guess we'll yeah. put that in pencil. Uh, 
Sony, you know, just this morning moved their animated film connected uh, to TBD. There are three films slated. That one for, hurts. That one hurts me right here. I, don't know. I, I, I figure it's a tough day for you, but you know, thanks for yeah back. Uh, you know, we got three films in seven weeks. Two of which, one is a Liam Neeson action film. One's a De Niro grandpa comedy. Uh, you know, do movie theaters shut back down again? You talk to studios all the time. What's your, yeah. what's your temperature as we kind of round out September here? I mean, I feel like tenants got to be a big cautionary tale for everybody. And I feel for Christopher Nolan because obviously he loves movie going and exists to make great spectacles that need to be seen on IMAX or in, at least in theaters. And he really wanted to open the theaters again. And um, obviously in, in the States, at least, that's not yet possible. Like you implied, I don't know how they release Wonder Woman in December, but you know, maybe something shocking will happen. You know, I think the question becomes, a funny thing is happening. The movies that are coming out are kind of random now. Oh. You know, you just have a De Niro, I mean, like a Russell Crowe road rage thing and a De Niro grandpa movie. Like, yeah. they don't really make the case that going to movies is a um, sacred American ritual because they're kind of random and people are putting in theaters. Maybe they don't need to make back that much money. It's going to be, obviously, it's going to be a great long while before great stuff is in theater regularly. It, uh, with the Oscars going back, it does feel people are saying that um, the Oscar movies that used to come out in October, November, December are going to basically be January, February, right? So that's going to be your Oscar season, hopefully. And I guess they'll do it regardless of whether the theater's open um, because they got to get them out there. They have to do, they have to have an Oscars. And I think for the industry, they have to do it. And I think ABC would <laughs> would ask stars to do like home cooking or something <laughs> just have, to yeah. get something like the ratings thing in the revenue. Yeah. So something's going to happen. So they're going to have to release the movies. We're starting to see some stuff that's yeah. good. I mean, the festivals yielded a handful of things that seem plausible in the race. But even as you say, a festival, I mean, you know, the Oscars moved, the festival dates didn't. I mean, the Oscars aren't for seven plus months at this point, you know, yeah. uh, festivals have to, probably more financial reasons take place to get some revenue to, to make sure there's a festival next year. Right. You know, even if the September festival doesn't hold a lot of weight in the Oscar race at this point, right. where before you'd be very busy right now between Toronto and New York. And, uh, you yeah. know, uh, so what is a festival? Does it still mean anything from a, you I'm, know, buzz point I'm, of view or what do you hear from people? Is you hearing anything out of these festivals of like chat? Yeah, sure. Or? I mean, yeah, because we're watching stuff and I feel like, um, People are writing about things and there's even still a little bit of like, I won't name any titles, but you know, when it, when people every year they go to Toronto and they see something and they say it's the most amazing movie ever made. Right. And then um, sometimes that's absolutely right. And sometimes you go, well, you were smoking some festival crack in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a little bit of the same thing is going on. I've seen people rave about movies from Toronto that I don't think are that strong, but um, certainly like you've seen a handful of movies like one night in Miami. Right. About, Ali and Sam Cooke and Malcolm X and Jim Brown hanging out in Miami. Kate Winslet, I think, is very good in Ammonite. Um, what else came out of there that Press people loved? Oh, uh, Nomadland, yeah, I guess. Nomadland. Um, that's going to be, I think, a tough sell for the wide American public, but it's, it's a, certainly a beautiful, um, moving movie with some amazing things in it. And, I, and it, this may be a year when... There will, no matter what, be less competition. There just, there's going to be less competition, right. and that doesn't mean that great, like Nomadland, I think, would be in the running no matter what. 
But um, it may be a time when it gets even more attention because the studios don't have the films. And even if they have the films, they don't have the money because they haven't been making money. Right. Same. So I don't know that they would spend zillions of dollars promoting and marketing yeah. for Oscars. But the thing is, too, with these films is that, you know, these are what we call New York and L.A. movies. And those are the two places in the U.S. you really can. Yeah. And you probably won't honestly see. I mean, maybe New York will open for a little while. I don't know if that'll last, yeah. you know. So even launching these films, you know, you're going to open in, you know, Oklahoma with Nomad. You know, it's like, you know where, right. how do you even build that, you know, kind of traditional? There is no roadmap anymore of like, okay. Right. Festival, New York, LA, definitely, if it goes you know, wider, do you go to what Netflix with these films? Do you? Right. Another thing Tenant did is, you know, the way it's always worked for many years is because opening weekend is so huge, they make so much money on blockbusters before anybody knows if the movie is good or not, or cares. Like there might be reviews out, but people are going to go no matter what, and it's going to get one weekend. With Tenant, it was not only spread out time-wise is spread out around the world. And so by the time I haven't seen Tenet, I'm nowhere near a theater that's open, but, um, and they've declined to send me a link, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but by the time it's open, I'm, I'll definitely see it because I think he's an important filmmaker, but I'm not going to have the like rush to this movie theater I would have had, had it been an opening weekend. So I think that's tough financially and it's tough word of mouth wise because there's just no critical mass of, a, of opinion. Like you got to go see this kind of an opinion about it. So I think once the reviews for Tenant sort of trickled in, you know, and this sort of takeaway seemed to be, it's either uh, amazing and makes no sense or not amazing and makes no sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the spectacle was there. That was, I think, agreed upon. But the, yeah, the, so the, the uh, must see factor, I don't think is there in the way it would have been in any other time yeah. um so that's that's really tough i feel for them this and the studios are trying to push back against netflix and tv and this is you know last year they were obviously some people were very frustrated about netflix's incursion into the oscar race but like it's going to be even more profound now yeah and they have the money to spend back to your point is that you know they're not going to scale back their their uh, academy yeah spending, uh, the campaign spending so yeah um, netflix uh, is not hurting i don't think no i think they have the cash so i think they might be all right but i think for the box office and back to the tenant point you know the reviews were good there's a no one fan base that wonder yeah, what to sure. see or not um but you know until and obviously black widow is the next big thing that's on the horizon for disney november 5th that everybody's already yeah. kind of crossing off the list even though it's not officially done yet you know until in a movie of that Back to your point, you know, a review, totally review-proof movie who, you know, a Marvel movie goes out in theaters, that's the only time that people will just go out and you'll get that big number. I don't know that any other genre has that power to really have that draw of, like, it's not a critics thinker movie. It's not a, you know, it's just a pure mass entertainment. But I don't think that, I think Tenet has really scared everybody off from even because they have to make so much more you know make the money back you can't put black widow and make 40 yeah. million that's not man, that's not going to happen i admire him for trying but it was yeah it was obviously too early and they kept pushing it and pushing it the date and eventually they must have just said screw it like they took a risk you know maybe they can and, and you know maybe overseas will do enough to help them yeah. but i assumed that they were hoping for a billion dollars or something and um you I mean, know. word is, yeah, they're halfway to break even at this point. So I think if they can even Ugh. get to 400, uh, you know. I didn't so, know that. That's interesting. That's, yeah. Yeah. So. That makes indeed. me sad inside. 
but Christopher Nolan will be okay. He's a brilliant filmmaker. And um, it was, he took a big risk that maybe didn't pay off. Yeah. It'd be interesting if they, if obviously the U S is a, it's done what it's done. That's not going to be a, you know, a big resurgence. If New York and LA open, maybe there's a case you made to somewhat that four weeks in, it would have a, a pop of some sort, but you know, yeah. you bring it to HBO max and like, all right, let's make this work for us here to get this in the Warner, Warner media kingdom. Let's find well, some doing, use to this. It's sort of impossible for us to know like how much money these things are worth to something like HBO well, Max, would. maybe it's worth, maybe they can spend any amount because they absolutely just need people flooding into this platform. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I wondered point. how Netflix, why they would spend so much money on a Scorsese movie, The Irishman, you know? Yeah. It's impossible to imagine, at least for me, that that was a, a purely financial decision. It couldn't have been. They just wanted to show that they made what, they made movies, you know, they didn't mind. I don't know that they lost money because who looks well, at their books, but they also don't count money that way. So it's not even, yes, you know, that's right. you know, so that's the whole trick. Um, but, uh, but then his next movie is over at Apple. So it's like, okay, you know, Marcus. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, which so. is like, I'm glad we did business with you. Marcus. <laughs> yeah. See ya. See ya. Yeah. Apple's Apple's your next, uh, your next uh, on the line here on the row of uh, right. checks for you. He'll be on Quibi before long. <laughs> oh, 5,000 part movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I guess we'll see where that goes. Uh, and it's kind of weird to even think now, you know, it's, we're heading into October, you know, the, the canary in the coal mine last year was South by, and it's like, all right, typically you'd start hearing about South by next year, you know, yeah. come October. And I'm like, I don't even know if that does that, you know, like that may not even, may not even exist anymore going forward. You know, that's a weird yeah, start to have in my mind. Everything's just trying to survive this year. So I'm sure in Toronto or Venice or even or whatever, they're just thinking, look, obviously, and the Oscars, obviously this is not going to be normal and this is not going to be like, you know, whatever money we used to make or whatever um, reach we used to have is not going to be the same, but um, let's hunker down and take the hit and hope that next year is something like normal, but who knows when there'll be a, you know, I, I know that Trump promises there will be one on November 3rd or 4th or yeah, 2nd. Conveniently. Yeah. Who knows when there'll be a vaccine and also who knows how long it will take to work. Yeah. And, and also like at a certain point, we're going to have to figure out are there, or if movies don't go into production in enough numbers, what movies are there going to be? These movies they're, they're pushing now can maybe fill much of 2021, but then what fills 2022? I don't know. I, yeah, that I have a little the, more hope for, I think. I mean, Batman, the Batman is shooting Jurassic World. It's like, you know, like they're figuring that out, I think. that I mean, there'll be some gaps. It won't be the usual full slate, obviously, but I think there still will be. Production, I have a little more hope for to like figure that out. It's more yeah. having a theater to show it in that I'm really more like, I don't know how that, right. you know, how that lasts. Well, that's yeah. curious. So with your business now, how do you you book covers months in advance. How are you guys approaching, you know, usually it's tied to a movie coming out or something. Yeah, so yeah. How's that, how's that conversation gone for you guys at this point in terms of your business and, and the cover business, or is it just the celebrity is a celebrity and it'll, it'll work, you know? Well, you know, generally celebrities don't want to be out there promoting something if they don't have a project. I mean, they don't want to be on a cover if they don't have a project. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot more understanding now that anything could change and we're doing things for, um, I don't want to say we're doing things for better reasons, but like Viola Davis didn't have an imminent project. In fact, she had just ended one yeah. with um, How to Get Away with Murder, but uh, it was a great story. She had a lot to say. Great cover, too. I think she wanted to be on the cover because it was an important moment 
And, um, you know, uh, and it didn't matter that her next thing is in the fall or whatever. Um, and so that's happening sometime, you know, there's a couple of people we're doing whose movies either haven't moved yet (laughs) or there's some other compelling reason to do it. And we're doing, you know, there's politicians, there's all kinds of cultural people. I think it's an interesting challenge because you don't want to do people just to sell movie tickets for them. Ideally you want to do them because they have something to say in the moment. It's tricky, but it's gone well so far. And we have also, people have understood, like if we had to move a cover or um, rethink something or switch our schedule around, people understand, especially this summer, you know, like it's one of the most volatile times anybody can remember in American history. And no one's going to say, no, you promised me a cover. Um, Well, some people might, but we have not had that problem. Well, this weekend, uh, normally you'd probably be hitting a bunch of Emmy parties uh, since the Emmys are Sunday nights. I think everybody's kind of curious to see what this is. Uh, yeah. There's two aspects to look at this now. A, doing an award show in a virtual red carpet, et cetera. And then B, even the nature of TV with 500 shows at this point, Emmys to me are personally a little more like, you know, it's nice to get an award, but is it any arbiter of... Yeah. I don't know, at this point, you know, who watches all this, all the shows, you know, that kind of thing. I think... I mean, it'll be interesting. And I, th- I assume the Oscar people are watching everything mm-hmm. down to like the VMAs and the right. DNC, like who's doing anything right. <laughs> Although the Oscars right. don't have a producer, so who knows? Oh, there you go. Um, in terms of the Emmys, I don't have any idea what the red carpet stuff will look like. I assume that they will do some something, but it, um, that's going to be a that's going to be the hardest thing to replace probably. I think people are used to uh, enough used to zoom stuff that maybe it will be okay. And, you know, you just had Jennifer Aniston flirting with Brad Pitt on that last Best. times at Ridgemont. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that like seemed to excite people. That was like a big moment, I think for like zoom possibilities, just get Brad Pitt and an ex-wife and you will be good. So anyway, I think um, what will happen at the Emmys, at least in terms of what shows they honor you know, I assume Schitt's Creek will go home with all kinds of awards. And yeah. and I think it showed in succession will. I think Ozark had a really good season and might surprise yeah. people. But like. It'll be interesting for me. So it's also the speeches where a lot of times the emotion, because you're on a stage in front of everybody. Right. How do you give a, a, that kind of caliber of speech? This is the first kind of meaningful, you know, it's been award shows, but a VMA is not going to you know change your yeah. life, obviously. But an Emmy really is that moment. Like, how do you convey that? sitting literally in your living room or whatever you're going to be doing, you know, that's, well, a, I don't know the answer. Just a curious. And who's um, Don Jr.'s girlfriend who gave that. Oh, very, uh, Gilfoyle. Uh, yeah. Gil, Kimberly yeah. Gilfoyle. Yeah. Who gave that kind of <laughs> booming, absolutely pumped up. Like that's another cautionary tale. Like, okay, pre- maybe don't pretend there's an audience there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The energy can be a little too high. Yeah. But we even saw, you know, when, when the pandemic first hit, we were doing a TV issue and we, did a photo portfolio with actors and actresses who were at home. And like I said before, they shot themselves. And in some cases we would send them clothes or we would art direct them and stuff. And if you look back at that portfolio, everybody is pretty, if not upset looking, then at least very grave, like, like the mo- the heaviness of the situation. They were very concerned about looking like they were having fun and rich people having fun. And I'm sure that they weren't, but even a couple of months later when we did the September issue and we had a big portfolio of um, black activists and politicians and actors and musicians. And like it was, there was much more jubilance to it and there was much more um, people were outdoors. People understood like, look, we've all been living like this for five or six months and it's okay to, it's okay to be happy to be alive. (laughs) You know, so even in that time, I think 
things have changed. And I bring that up just because I think um, now that we're, we've been in this longer, I think people can have some, can be seen having fun at the Emmys and being glad they won awards. I hope, I hope they don't think they have to yeah. apologize because they all did, a lot of them did amazing work, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. yeah. Like, do people dress up at home? Do they do, like, what do you just wear? You know, like that kind of thing. It'd be interesting just to see in that regard how people treat it from a personal point of view. And I think they'll probably do that to support designers they like and yeah, stuff like true. that, or to feel like they're giving audiences a little bit of what they're used to. You know, we interviewed Kate Winslet the other day, and she mm-hmm. was talking about how much she hates getting in the dresses and the shoes and the waist and how she only ever wears them once. And what's the point? And there's gotta be some actors who are like, you know what? I'm not really sorry. I don't have to be on 30 red carpets. Um, But by the same token, I think they know people love that stuff and they know it's important to the fashion industry. And yeah, that's true. You know, there's a whole in, you know, even the photographers, I mean, there's literally an industry built around it and um, websites and stuff. And so I think they'll do something. We talked to some stylists recently who were just like, well, we don't have the full body pose on the red carpet, so we're focusing on the head and shoulders. It's all about tops and color and form, you know, and they're working with what they have. We'll see. I'm sure we'll see some glam. They can't. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, well, you mentioned the September issue there. Uh, what's kind of been the reaction you've felt and seen from people? What's, you know, it had a big splash, only got a lot of news yeah, at the I time. Think, what's been your, what's your I take think on it's it now? Been, it's been pretty amazing. And again, I say that because... I did a bunch of things in it, but I very much was taking direction from Tanasi and from um, Radhika Jones, um, my boss. You know, even as we were making it, you know, I'd never spoken to Tanasi because before, and um, you know, it's it was just fascinating to get to know his brain a little bit and to see the decisions he made. And he was very deeply involved. Like it wasn't like I imagine if you have Bono or or Sting or somebody doing your guest editing your issue, I don't think they'd be looking at headlines and picking writers and looking at layouts and stuff. But Tanasi was very deeply involved with Radhika and with our, um, one of our executive editors, Claire Howorth. And um, so I think the reaction to it was pretty profound. And, you know, one of the biggest hits from it, if that's the word is this novelist, Jasmine Ward, who wrote about her husband's death um, right before coronavirus hit. And, and it was just a stunning, heartbreaking piece of writing. And, I haven't seen many stunning, heartbreaking pieces of writing that went viral, but that thing absolutely did. And I'm pretty sure it's the the most read thing from that issue. Hmm. And it's just not just anything, but it is a heartfelt essay rather than breaking news or some celebrity thing. It's just something beautiful. So I love seeing that. Um, I think people appreciated that the level of talent of black writers and photographers and artists, illustrators. was just phenomenal. And also the issue is pretty, it's pretty, I don't know if radical is the word, but like it's pretty out there for a mainstream magazine. And, um, you know, I think our feeling was if we're going to do this, we're going to do it the way we think it needs to be done and the way ta thinks it needs to be done. And um, so, yeah, I think it's short, short answer is I'm pretty sure it's got to be one of the top things that Radhika Jones is most proud of in her, her career. I haven't asked her for a top 10, but I'd be shocked if it wasn't way up there uh, because I'm in Montana and we get everything weeks and weeks late. Yeah. I only recently got a copy of the print issue and it's, <laughs> some of the stuff is so powerful. It's even hard for me. It's not a magazine you, you can really page through and to dip into because everything is either really deeply reported or deeply felt or, you know, yeah. um, you so it's a great, it was a great project to even be a small part of. 
and you, I guess there's some lessons you may take away from it or anything to you like makes you think about things in a certain way sometimes, or is it kind of, you know, yeah, as I mean, an editor, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, it was definitely inspiring yeah. to watch Ta-Nehisi Coates and to, and Radhika, you know, there's always things you really, really care about in every issue, hopefully, but it's rare to work on one really cohesive project that like everybody at the brand is like, let's not mess up. Let's not like have one mistake here if we can avoid it. We try that all the time, but there are, you know, but every, there's a million different things in every issue. Usually this was really so um, organized around the theme of black lives and um, the, the pressure on us that we put on ourselves was pretty, pretty high. Yeah. And it did, it certainly got us, um, working with all kinds of people that we hadn't worked with before that are great and that we will keep working with. Definitely. Yeah. So you certainly had a long history uh, at Entertainment Weekly before your time at Vanity Fair. Um, Meredith, you know, announced more layoffs today, 50 people, you know. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. They just, uh, across, you know, across their national brand. So they didn't, they didn't really break out in terms of people, EW, Insta, what's departments of it. But um, those headlines have certainly come quite a bit. You know, it's brutal. And, you know, I, I understand it. It's, you yeah. Know, I mean, it's not a um, shock, but it's, you know, I'm glad that entertainment weekly is still going. And, um, you know, there's definitely people I still care about there. And I think the magazine changed so much over the years from its, you know, very inception and which was pre web really. And oh, yeah. they did a lot of long before I got there, did, did a lot of things that I think the web ended up doing really well, <laughs> you know, similar <laughs> right. things. Yeah. Um, similar sense of humor, similar sh- quick takes on things, almost like memes before there were memes. Um, over the years, it's changed and um, a lot of good friends from there. And a lot of people have gone on to great stuff. Jeff Jensen wrote yeah. on Watchmen. And um, it's really cool to see Mark, Mark Bernard and another person who's become a TV writer. Um, there's a million more I'm blanking on. Lots of books have come out of there. It's a really, Gillian Flynn obviously wrote Gone Girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always felt we got a lot of crap as a magazine. People made fun of us more than I thought they should sometimes because <laughs> we weren't cool enough or something. But, you know, when you see especially what great things that people go on to, you realize how much talent there was there. The talent finds a new home. It may not be a magazine writer. It may not be, you know, yeah. people ask what's the future, you know, magazine business or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, it may not be what you th- what it was, but it doesn't mean right. that the people are done for. They're not, you know, something to offer, something else to evolve into, you know? Yeah. And wherever you look, there's some example of um, like the New Yorker sells a ton of subscriptions. Right. Like they figured who out. would have thought that that would be the thing, but man, that magazine cooks and you know, while everybody else is going, oh, we got to do video or we got to do, which right. we have to do, right? want to do, but there's always some example if you do something fantastically, then <laughs> old fashioned stuff can still work. Obviously it's hit and miss, but yeah, it translates. If you, People can, if you can be a genius, <laughs> then it's okay. You'll be fine. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think about this business in two or five years at this point, or is it more just kind of, do you have any kind of long-term sense of where things are going or do you get a sense of that at all? Only in the sense that it's so different. Even when I was at entertainment weekly five years ago, I mean, it's a completely different industry. The things that editor deals with, it's, you you know, I'm doing every platform plus there's, you know, video and, um, all kinds of events. And, you know, there are things that, we're getting started five years ago, but are really just 
have reshaped everything now. So I'm older. So I remember when literally editing was like, someone gave you the story, you wrote the headline, you edited the piece, and then you handed it off to someone. You looked at the layouts and said, I don't like that photo. Can we get another photo? And now it's just 30 million completely different tasks that you have to figure out in order to do and what order to do them in. And you have to figure out what's most important because no one tells me, help us write the cover. It's more important to write the cover line than it is to edit this web piece that needs to go up than it is to need to talk to the lawyers about a piece. You know, you just got to figure it out. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to obviously to have the job, but also to be working with people that, um, you know, I've, re- I've known Radika Jones a long time and I've never worked with her, but it's, she's a great, she's a great boss and very different. I've had great bosses, but very different than even the good bosses I've had before. Um, and very um, focused and humane and um, smart as hell. Yeah, I'm lucky. And I, so I sort of, to answer your question, I sort of feel like, no, none of us really know what will happen. We know where the areas we need to grow are. Okay. Um, but, you know, if I had to be somewhere, I'm glad I am. I am where I am because it's a pretty sweet um, place and a nice team. Yeah. that really actually cares. I've worked at places where people are, um, you know, will do stuff for money that maybe you rather they didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes maybe I was that person. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, it's a, there's the ethical life of Vanity Fair is, has impressed me a lot, I will say. And I think that comes from Radika. So it's been good. I don't know what will happen. I pray for all the other brands because it's, you know, and it's, because I, I don't want them to go away. You don't, you want to be part right. of an industry. And I used to, I worked at Newsweek for many years and that's not really Newsweek anymore. No. Although I, I like and admire the woman running it. Yeah. Um, it's just, too. it's a different company. It's a different product. Different um, business model, et cetera. You know, I would, yeah. you don't want the places you've worked to go out of business <laughs> because then you cannot <laughs> brag about having worked there. Exactly. <laughs> Lose your cachet, Jeff. Yes. But you, right. but you, uh, you are a published author. Are you still writing? What's your, yeah. uh, you, uh-huh. okay. So you've written three novels, right? That was I've written two, two. Well, yeah, two novels, um, two young adult fantasy novels. Right. And I'm writing something completely different now. Um, oh, cool. It's a little tough with the day job, which has to take precedence. But um, sure. again, like, you know, I'm living in Montana in a beautiful place. Not, I mean, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about my house, but in a beautiful <laughs> landscape. Surroundings, surroundings, yeah. Um, with only a little smoke from Oregon. And, um, mm. and I'm working at a brand that I really respect. So, you know, I'm not at all going to complain about anything ever again, you know. And when you see what people are going through, it's like you just don't even want to open your mouth about no. your own life because of the shit people have and the true trauma that people have gone on dealt with this year yeah yeah the what's your take on the book publishing at this point is that kind of i mean it's been uh five years since your first uh four years since your first book something like that yeah i mean my sense is the fact that not as many people are going into bookstores while it sucks for bookstores and i love independent bookstores but i think even i think people are loyal to them and, and buying books from them directly now but um the good news seems to be that people are still reading books and needing them. And that's good. Like you don't want to just spend your time on the phone. You know, every, every week when I get my little, like your screen time has gone down 0.05%. I'm like victory down to 30 hours a day. That's fantastic. And, and it's just a P it's just a more, I love the collaboration of working at a magazine and, but being able to also do something solitary is, 
is ideal. Well, you have uh, President Obama's 768-page uh, book coming out in November, so you know you'll have. That's uh, going to take me that may, uh, a little while to read. <laughs> Christmas holidays, yeah. I love that he's. I know we didn't want to bring it out before the election, which yeah, it's coming out two weeks. I don't know. I guess he probably didn't want to overshadow Biden, but right. Um, everyone knows it's coming, and it's going to be a massive, massive thing. And Trump will still be in office no matter what when it comes out, and we can all be reminded of what like dignity and intelligence and you know humanity looked like in a president. Very true. Round out here. One thing that keeps you that you're concerned about. One thing you're that keeps you optimistic about the business of Hollywood these days uh, you're looking forward to as you kind of round out the year. What's on I your think, mind lately? I mean, what I like, you know, I try not to be optimistic ever, but since you've asked, um, I do like that people in all segments of the entertainment industry understand that everybody is trying to make it work and that everybody has struggles they've never had before. And, um, that there isn't so people I think are, I don't know if softer is the word, but people are a lot more collaborative and there's a lot less, there's an understanding of what's going on. There's a kind of empathy level. I think that didn't always, doesn't always exist between journalists and major um, firms, studios, corporations and stuff like that. I like that. It just makes doing things easier. If things change or can't be done, people understand. And I try to, I'm the same way, because we deal with like, we want to do a story on a movie right now, and the movie doesn't have a title. And I was like, well, <laughs> can I help you think of a title? <laughs> I'm very good. At if I can get you a title, could we then do the story? Like, I need this, I want this story, and you, you're not coming up with the title fast enough. And I feel like, you know, I'm, only, I'm being facetious. I will no, not make the title for them. But right. it's just funny, the um, situation you get in. So that makes me happy. And the only... Uh, ongoing concern is just trying to get good stuff seen in the face of so much noise out there. But that's been an issue for, you know, since not going away. Yeah. So yeah, that's worrisome. But then every so often you see like with our September issue, that Jasmine yeah. Ward issue and you go that essay and you think, okay, something's good enough. Millions of people will read it. Yeah. And um, it doesn't just have to be a funny video of a, you know, yeah. a baby swearing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which are great, but you know, it's, uh, yeah, no, variety is I, nice. I will variety take as many nice. of those as can be made, but, but yeah, it's good to know that like truly special stuff gets seen. And, you know, the great thing about the web obviously is that you can really do a lot. You know, when you put out a monthly issue, you put a lot of sweat and tears into it. And we obviously work hard on the web stuff, but you also get many, many more chances on the web. Right. You know, if yeah. something doesn't hit one day, there'll be something else tomorrow and we'll just keep swinging. Yeah. yeah. Well, enjoy your life in Montana. I guess you're, you're no, uh, LA is just kind of out TBD at this point for you in terms of, uh, I, I guess think so. back to the vanity fair offices, all that stuff is still why. Yeah. Horizon, it won't I happen. Imagine, I, yeah. I can't imagine it'll happen in 2020. Um, yeah. I want to go back to LA, but I do need to be able to breathe. <laughs> so <laughs> the air will have to, uh, change and, um, the COVID stuff, needs yeah. to settle down a lot. I just, so there's not really a compelling argument for going back right now and everything we're, I mean, I think every, you know, we can do stuff virtually and from a distance and um, we're taking advantage of that right now. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing your uh, Emmy, Emmy outfit on a uh, Sunday night. I'm sure you'll be all dressed up. It has a lot of feathers, <laughs> but thank you. You never disappoint chef. That's all. <laughs> thank you, Sean. <laughs> It's good, good talking to you. Yeah, good catching up. Thanks for making the time. This is great. Sure. All right. Take care.
Thanks again to Jeff for making time to catch up. You can follow him at Mr. Jeff Giles, that's G-I-L-E-S, on Twitter. And now here's a look at the week ahead. As I mentioned, Jeff and I recorded that conversation on Friday afternoon, just hours before the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so I'm sure that will play a large role in the national conversation and potentially the Emmys this Sunday night. Otherwise, uh, the week is kind of front-loaded, with Kelly Clarkson and Jimmy Kimmel both returning to their shows on Monday. Although, most of the attention will probably go to Ellen on Monday, as she returns to her daytime talk show. Tuesday night, Frontline has their two-hour-long look at the presidential matchup on PBS, which Frontline does for every presidential election and is always definitely worth watching. Otherwise, the Enola Holmes movie comes to Netflix on Wednesday, and Amber Ruffin premieres her new show on Peacock on Friday. Plus, P.E. themselves, Public Enemy, returns with a new album as well. So I'll leave you with this today to get psyched. Thank you for listening, everybody. And if you work in the Hollywood or media business, be sure to hit that subscribe button to the podcast and you'll get in the know each morning in just seven to 10 minutes. I'll see you on Monday.